Many people have no clue how their pension works, where to find it or even how to open one. Enter Pension B, a leading online pension provider that's on a mission to make pensions simple so that customers across the UK can save for a happy retirement. Pension B's website and app make it simple for customers to combine their old pension pots, contribute flexibly and withdraw their pension money all in one place. Download the app to get started or head to pensionb.com for more information. Just remember that when investing, your capital is at risk. Really happy um, to be here with, with everyone. We have two amazing guests. I have amazing partners because we've been working with, with Pension B also to, to prepare this event. But we've had so many conversations about retirement. It's one of the, you know, I think biggest topic, hottest topic at, at Vespod because we all a little bit wor worried about What's going to happen when we retire? Are we going to have enough money? Are we, are we going to be able to live, the, to live the life we want? And how do we balance priorities between today uh, and, and, and tomorrow? So welcome to Vespod. Uh, I recognize a few like familiar names here, but if you're new to, to Vespod, we're a community empowering mostly women financially. Um, we organize courses. Uh, you maybe have read my book, You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich, or you listen to our podcast. The wallet, we also host events, and it's all about giving you the tools uh, and the confidence to do more with your finances from repaying debt to investing, saving, and of course, pension um, is, a, is a really important one. And when we think about pension, um, you know, we are living longer. Um, there's a really big pension gap between men and women. If we look at different statistics, that could be as high as like 40%. Um, we are living longer, uh, women are living longer, and the state pension doesn't offer you much of a you know, safety net. So you actually need to save for yourself. It's quite a big responsibility, but we also want this flexible life. Women are still the primary carers for their families, for you know, older parents. So how do we manage and make sure, make sure we have um, enough for, for the long term? I'd love to welcome uh, our two brilliant panelists and guests today. So I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves, but we have big Vicky O'Connor, Director, uh, VP Public Affairs at our partner Pension B, and Emma Maslin, Money Coach and Founder of the Money Whisperer. So I've worked with both of them. I've met them. We've done a lot of, of stuff together. Uh, but yeah, maybe Becky, if you can say a few words about, you know, what, what you do and, and why you're here today. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Director of Public Affairs at Pension B. I've been here nearly a year. Um, before that, I was head of pensions for an investment platform. And before that, I worked for a big mutual insurance provider, which was a provider of pensions. So um, I've been in this space for quite a long time, um, which is funny because I never saw myself in pensions. Um, but I talk about pensions a lot. Um, my role is really educating people of all ages, men and women at different life phases um, about what they might want to think about, um, whether that's um, increasing contributions or helping them with their um, state pension quandaries. Um, I also write a column for The Telegraph, which is the Pensions Doctor column, and I write a, a column for the iPaper too on these topics. So um, it, it's, it's, um, it's a really interesting area to work in. Um, it's not something people want to think about, but I like to think I help them um, enjoy thinking about it a little bit more. Thank you. And, and I think that's going to be really the topic today is try to have an empowering conversation about pension because it can be quite depressing. So I know, you know, both of you have, you know, quite inspiring and uplifting <laughs> things to say about pensions. Um, thanks, Becky. Emma, welcome. Thanks for having me, Emily. Um, so my name is Emma Maslin. I am a money coach, which means I help people with their relationship with money, really. Um, and I've got a real 
special interest in the whole psychology and neuroscience behind why we behave in the way that we do around money and that relationship that we have with money. And I think that we're going to bring some of that into today's conversation, because if it was just as easy as we all know we need to save for our later life, we'd all be doing it and we're not. And and that piece, I think, is really, really interesting. So I'm going to be bringing a bit of personal experience and uh, neuroscience and psychology into today as well. A quick disclaimer, uh, we are not here to give you financial advice. We are, again, really happy about how do you work with a financial advisor. And remember, when investing, your capital is at risk. Investments can go down as well as up, and you may get back less money than you invest. But don't worry, I think we, we can also talk about risk today and, and why, you know, risk is also sometimes uh, an opportunity. Um, so in today's webinar, three parts. Um, first, we're going to talk about the mental block when it comes to investing for the future. Then we're going to talk about how do we, do we shift the narrative around aging. And finally, very practical tips, get started uh, planning for retirement. And we leave like 15, 10, 15 minutes for, for questions at the end. So anytime you have a question, feel, feel free to, to put it in the, in the, in the chat box. Um, so let's get started. Um, Emma, maybe I'll start with you. Um, and I'd love to know, you know, when, when we, people feel, you know, disconnected from the individuals they'll be in the future. I mean, I don't know what Emily in like 20, 30, 40 years is, is, is going to do or more. <laughs> Who knows? Um, and as a result, you know, maybe sometimes discount uh, what would later benefit them. How can we become more friendly with, with our future self? It's tough, isn't it? Like, we don't know who we're going to be and what our life's going to be like in the future. But it's really important that we do have that connection. So this is where some of the psychology comes in, right? Because we have to find a connection with our future self. Um, now, how can we do that? Um, it's not as easy as... as click your fingers. However, there are some quite cool tools that we can use. Now, I know that Emily in the advertising for this session had a lovely picture of Emily aged 60 something, I'd say, um, a digitally digitally altered photo. Now, that's a really, really good way of shifting our brain into this place where we can kind of get that start to get that connection with who we are as an elderly person. You know, if I were to look at a, a picture of myself in my 70s, I feel a bit of a sense of, oh, I kind of want to... Um, give her a hug and make sure she's okay and that's shifting into that part of the brain that, that where we go right I do actually need to start thinking about that person and what do I need to do now to make sure that she's okay so that's a really good starting point a visual picture of yourself when you're older kickstarts that pit of your brain right and Becky's laughing but it really works some of these tips I'm going to give now another one is um writing a letter to yourself um so thinking about what it is some of those things some of those dreams that you have what goals do you have for yourself you know you've just answered some of those in the poll you know what are the things that you think about that you'll like to be doing when you're retired write yourself a letter you know give yourself permission to be doing those things and in doing so again we're, we're tuning into that part of the brain that's giving us connection to our future self now there's lots of um, research that's been done that that sort of shows that if we start thinking about ourselves and we can't connect, we connect with ourselves in the same way that we might connect with like a politician or, or someone unfamiliar to us. But we need to start building those those connections. So that's what's really important. So that's a couple of little tips to just get you in the right frame of mind, because it's that connection that will then kickstart the action taking. 
I love this idea of the letter. I mean, yeah, I've put my <laughs> a picture of myself age yeah, maybe 70 on everywhere on the internet. But um, I think it was it was a good, you know, eye eye opening exercise. Um, and a lot of apps and AI now can help you do like anything, <laughs> like create a movie about about your life in in retirement. Um, Vicky, I wanted to talk a little bit about you know retirement and how do we approach this retirement and when we think about retirement it's it's usually quite you know chronological concept of age i don't know if you've read this book um you know the 100 year life by by andrew scott there's also a really good article in the ft that we can share uh, after this webinar but there's two ways to to look at you know this concept of age there's the prospective age so how many years you've got to go so if you're 50 today and if we have life expectancy of you know 70 um that's very different from someone who is 50 and has a life expectancy of 90, of course. Uh, and then there's the biological age, which is just uh, your health and how you're aging. And we can influence how we age and we can see that in a, in a variety of, of ways. So, Becky, can you remind us what the state pension is and how that differs from retirement age? If we really look into, you know, practically, uh, where am I going to get some money from? Yeah, sure. So... I think you've touched on some really key points, which is that life isn't really linear anymore. You don't work and then stop working at a certain age and then just, you know, live off your retirement income um, forevermore. People tend to dip in and out of work throughout life, um, even when you're younger, you know, for children, um, for caring for other relatives. And then eventually, you know, you might want to go part time, then you might find a, another job that's more fulfilling and go back up to full time. You might have a huge realisation that you don't actually have a big enough pension pot when you reach age 55 and work more, having scaled back a little bit. Um, so there's there's a lot of moving parts. And, and part of the reason for that is to do with when you can start to access both your private pension and your state pension. So you can, uh, thanks to pension freedoms, um, which were introduced several years ago now, you can access your private pension pot from age 55 and you can take a 25% tax-free lump sum and you can start to take an income from it at that age, should you want to. Um, that's really quite young. It's actually going up to 57 in 2028. Um, but in terms of like retiring, that would be considered pretty young. I think the typical age for retirement is 64. And um, the ideal age, according to a pension piece survey, is 60. So we still aspire to retire earlier than when we get the state pension, um, which is currently 66. And that's rising to 67 from 2028. So you can see that there are stages before you reach the state pension entitlement age where you might have to start making some decisions about what you do with your private pension pot, whether you're still needing to be in a phase of accumulating it, which is building it up through work, or whether you are in a position where you could start drawing some of it down. And there's also not just your own needs to take into account. Very often there's the needs of children and often adult children are around the same sort of age of, you know, first time buyers. Um, coincidentally, at the time that lots of um, older relatives um, start to be able to access their pension. So there's these other possible draws on any pot of money that you do have that may not be just your own retirement income. The other thing that you mentioned is the 100 year life. And um, that is very interesting. Um, but I would also say, um, you know, there's a huge amount of inequality in 
um, healthy life expectancy in life expectancy regionally. Um, an awful lot depends on your own health and well-being and those around you as to whether or not you can enjoy that 100-year life um, or, or whether or not you will actually have a 100-year life. And of course, there are some huge unknowns when it comes to pension planning. And the biggest is we don't know how long we're going to be on this planet. Um, and, you know, working with that big unknown, we can do lots of things um, based on probabilities. I mean, there's a really strong probability that all of us on this call will live till our mid-80s. That's just on the basis of life expectancy for women. There's a very strong probability that we'll outlive our male partners too, unfortunately, um, because men tend to die earlier. So these are the really hard, horrible, cold math statistics behind some of the things that you, you know, will come into your own planning for your own retirement. Yeah, and this this planning is not is not easy and this is really, you know, what, what we're gonna try to to think about today. And Emma, if I if I go back to you and, and one thing we were discussing uh, preparing this call is is how can we actually start thinking about what makes a good life in, in retirement? Becky, you talked about, you know, this sort of, you know, time frame we may have in our mind where we may think we're doing different things, work, no work, family, helping children. Um, but is it to make our life better? Is it to make our life longer? Uh, you know, what are some of the key considerations uh, we need to consider? Because I feel it's, it's a very personal topic. One of my favourite sayings is personal finance is personal. It's it's that that personal bit is so key here. So I think there's a lot of shoulds that come into a lot of our decision making, but this is something that we really need to consider as a unique thing for us, you know. But that is really tricky. Again, when it's so far away, it's really difficult for a lot of people to envisage what what is it? You know, the retirement that you see your parents enjoying, that your grandparents enjoy, might be totally different. You know, we live in a very different world now. Now, um, there is some really great research that's been done and a paper that's been written by the Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association. And I think it, it provides such a great tool to enable people to start engaging with, well, what does my retirement look like? So, you know, if you think about some of the things that might encompass um, a retirement, there might be material things that you want in there. There might also be experiences, so hobbies and holidays and things like that. And the uh, the uh, retirement living standards that, that they have created piece together some of these building blocks to make up three different categories of um, style of retirement. So a minimum retirement, a moderate and a comfortable. And I think they just give a really nice way to start thinking about, well, would I be happy with um, only going on holiday in the UK once a year for a week? And that's what's included in that, that minimum basket. Or actually, do I envisage a, a retirement where I'm able to go to Europe for three weeks annually? And if so, then I need to be thinking about that comfortable retirement. And then there are some numbers that are attached to, to each of those three pots. So to live um, a comfortable retirement for a couple, you would need an annual income of almost £55,000. Now, within that, there are you know upgrades to your car regularly, home improvements, um, being able to go and eat out versus the minimum um, lifestyle uh, pot, which for a couple would be just under £20,000. So I think it's a really nice way to start thinking about 
what is it? What are some of those building blocks? And, and that is really tricky when you're young, especially, you know, I'm 42 and I still find it difficult to connect with that period of my life because I don't know what my interests might be at that point. But I do know that traveling and, and actually I jotted down some of the poll results. So 78% of you want to be able to travel, right? That's a really key thing for a lot of people. So if that's true for you, you need to be thinking, well, where does that position me in some of these lifestyle pots? And, and by and large, it's in, it's in the, the bigger end, the, the end that needs a bigger pot. <laughs> Emma, if we, if we just, you know, talk a little bit about changing attitudes to aging, um, when we look at some, you know, uh, analysis by WHO, it shows that negative or ageist attitudes towards older people are widespread and they also negatively affect older people's physical and mental health. So fully 60% of respondents in the in the World Value Survey, again, I will share that, reported that older people are not respected. And, you know, that's a big thing when we think about retirement. So how can we shift the narrative around aging to view it as, you know, a positive uh, stage in life? Lots of the work I do is around how can we shift these kind of beliefs or these thought patterns that we have, these narratives that we have. Um, now, when it comes to ageing, you have to start with yourself, right, and the way that you talk to yourself. Um, you are never too old to do anything. And one of the easiest ways that from a psychological perspective we can get to change our narratives is to look for the evidence that is contrary to the narrative that we have. So um, where are the examples of people who are elderly who are doing amazing things? You know, who are the women out there who have maybe changed careers and done amazing things at a time in life when we would be thinking they should be putting their feet up and playing a round of golf. Um, you know, I, I did a bit of research for this and, and I got a bit down a bit of a rabbit hole, but there were some really interesting um, people that have done amazing things in older life. Did you know that Colonel Sanders, who set up KFC, didn't set up KFC until he was 65? Pretty amazing fact there, right? <laughs> but there are loads of people, you know, there are people who have climbed, there was a Japanese man who's climbed Mount Fuji at 100. You know, I'm 42, I'm already thinking, there's no way I could climb a mountain. Uh, I couldn't go on an Everest trip or anything. I'm getting too old. That's all in your head. You are never too old. So from, from the perspective of challenging these ageist thoughts, we have to start with ourselves. Speak positively to yourself. And one thing I always say to all my clients and my children is, if you wouldn't say it to your best friend, don't say it to yourself. So be kind in the way that you think and look for that evidence of people around you who are doing things contrary to that narrative, which, by the way, is culturally ingrained. You know, we have to start changing the narrative and we've all got a collective responsibility to do that. Thanks, Iman. I, I love that. And we all have, I think, big plans for, for the future. Uh, I see Charlene saying, I, I plan to be an absolute badass in my 70s and 80s. I love that. <laughs> I mean, I, I love Charlene's comment. Yeah, I plan to be badass as well. And I am like surrounded suddenly by women who are like complete role models to me in that age group. And I just think that there's a certain point where you just stop caring what people think and you just just live the life the way you want to. And I think there's a freedom that comes with age, which I'm looking forward to. Um, hopefully I've got enough money to do that. Um, do you want me to pick up any question in particular, Emily? Yeah, um, I, so I see a few, um, a few questions around attitudes towards work and, and retirement. And I've seen this accelerated by, you know, with the COVID pandemic and, and now 
two in five 54 to 64 year old plan to move into semi-retirement before reaching um, state pension age. I see that's that's also a question. So can you talk a little bit about the idea of continuing work through retirement and how we can plan for it? And I saw a few questions, practical questions. I will write them down. And maybe when we talk about practical tips at the end, we can come back to, to the other uh, numbers. Yeah, great. I mean, one of the problems is, um, you know, workplaces not necessarily being set up or catering very well to people who are older and may have to, you know, work flexibly and work part time because they're looking after others. Could be grandchildren, could be partners. You know, there could be, there's multiple reasons as you get older why you would need a little bit more give from an employer. And there is a big debate currently taking place around, you know, what does a, an a, older friendly, older person-friendly workforce look like because it's recognised that people um, in their late 50s and early 60s dropped out of the workforce during the pandemic and they didn't come back and they're to blame for all of the economic woes that the country is currently facing if you believe some politicians Um, but clearly we do need to see some changes in the workplace and we need to see more flexible um, employment patterns being made available and the good thing I suppose is that now with sort of more jobs that are available working from home, remote working, there are things that you can do that would fit in with a schedule, a caring schedule a bit more easily, perhaps. Um, And in terms of, you know, finding that balance, you do need to look at the numbers. So if you're able to start accessing your pension already, but you recognise that you probably still need to work as well, um, look at some forecasts, and there are calculators available online for how long your pot is likely to last given a kind of reasonable expectation of investment growth and a reasonable expectation of what you would need to take out of it. Um, And then look at those PLSA um, retirement living standards guides for how much income you think you would need or could realistically expect from your pot plus any state pension when that comes to sort of work out what the gap is and therefore what you would need to earn. And it might be that you know you can you can stop working in in your current job and do something completely different that you'd been planning to do maybe at some point in your life is um uh, maybe it's not going to earn the mega bucks but will give you a sense of satisfaction and enough to tide you over for that period in your life where you just need a bit before you get to the state pension entitlement age Um, to keep you at the living standard that you would like to be kept at. And the other thing that I think is um, worth touching on that we haven't talked about yet is housing costs. Um, Because mortgage terms are getting longer, more people are renting for longer. There's this term perma-renters now where you kind of get stuck in rental accommodation and end up reaching your retirement years and still facing mortgage repayments or rental bills. And that is going to be a problem for more and more of us, sadly. Um, and that does also change the dynamic, but, and it means often that you have to work for longer um, and that you certainly would need to, if you want to retire, build up a much bigger pot so that you can still cover those outgoings for as long as you have them. So it's just another thing to bear in mind, depending on your housing situation and, you, and how you see that playing out over the years. And, uh, and at Pension B, you actually also, I mean, on, on this topic of, you know, what what do we do in, in retirement? You publish the CARES um, pension gap um, report, rethinking the causes of pension inequality um, and found someone who needs to provide unpaid care at all five key life events. So we're thinking caring for children, 
parents, a partner, grandparents, and grandchildren could see their pension pot be worth almost £30,000 less at retirement. And I think we're all experiencing some of that and caring for someone in, you know, in, in some way. How do, we, how do we approach this topic? I think um, expect the unexpected um, and just be aware that, you know, even if everything's going great, guns. I, I said I wasn't going to be depressing today, so I'm going to just wrap this point up quite quickly. But <laughs> if everything's going great, guns, your career's amazing, you know, you're putting loads into your pension, 15, 20% bonuses are going, you're doing all the right things. That's brilliant and um, keep doing it. Um, but maybe when you're forecasting for how long you'll be able to keep riding that brilliant wave for um just think about things that might blindside you at some point in the future sooner than you're planning so you know in my ideal world i'll be healthy i'll be working till i'm 70 i'll be earning well until why not 70 why not um you know if the world is no longer ageous by the time i get there but of course things will change. I'll, my kids might have kids. I might be on the hook for looking after them. I probably will be because childcare will be so expensive by then. So I think factor in these kind of um, known unknowns um, and potential dips in your ability to build up um, your contributions as you get older. Thank you. And, and Emma mentioned earlier that it's, of course, it's personal and we're all going to have a different journey. Um, and actually, Emma, I wanted to, to, to come back to you and, and you know, when we look at, you know, people living on their own, they will spend on average 92% of their disposable income compared with household or like two adult household who only spend like 83% uh, of theirs. So people living alone are more likely to be renting uh, and feel less financially secure than, than couples without children with fewer reporting. They have money left over at the end of the week or the month. So I wanted to share maybe your own experience with, um, you know, your financial well-being and retirement and maybe some of your clients, because we're all going to have very specific challenges and this can change also over the course of our life. So how do we um, sort of integrate this this topic of pension quite, quite early on? Well, it's what you bring up here is so it's so interesting because I think that, you know, there are challenges for everybody at the moment. And it's, it's easy for us to sit here on this webinar and say, right, we need to get started early and we need to be paying into our pension. But there are challenges around our finances. We've got a finite amount. Where do we put it all? Um, and for those people who are single, um, as you've highlighted, there's less there's less available in the pot. So what do they do? Um, you know, to 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 really ram home the point here, I think we, we do need to encourage the earlier you start, you know, the less you actually need to contribute because your your pension pot is growing. It's benefiting from compound interest, which is that snowball effect where it grows and grows over time. And time is the biggest influencer that helps your money grow with compound interest. So the earlier we can start, how whether you're in a couple or whether you're single, the earlier you can get started, even if it's a small amount, just build that habit and get get contributing. Um, now, some of the points you've, you've mentioned there, um, just to give my own experience. So I have had time out of the workforce to raise small children and then I went back part time and I'm now self-employed. So um, and I'm I'm married um, and during that time, my husband's career has continued on its trajectory and he's now 
doing much better than I am, if you like, financially when it comes to my pension pot. However, I view our pension pots together as a pot. Um, but that comes with its own kind of risks um, in that if something were to happen to our marriage down the track, you know, one in two marriages end in divorce. We're, we're quite happy at the moment. But, you know, um, to, to give you a picture here, for, for people that end up separating and, and divorcing, um, and becoming single, it can be a really worrying time if they haven't been focusing on building their own pension pot. However, um, the one point that I really want to, to um, focus on here is that pensions can be an absolutely huge asset when or one of your biggest assets in in a marriage that and the home tend to be the biggest the biggest assets. So don't ignore a pension if you are um, separating from a partner. It's really important that you get financial advice, legal advice around a pension sharing order. So that's a legal term. Um, they will look at the pension pots that have been built over the marriage and they will work out what is equitable for you to take away from the marriage. Um, now, that's that's something to, to really be um, aware of, because I, I think a lot of women are so focused if they end up in that position on, you know, I need a roof over my head and I need somewhere for the children to be safe. And that's our nurturing qualities showing up. You know, we want to make sure that ourselves and others are safe. Um, however, you need to put that oxygen mask on for yourself financially as well. Um, and making sure that you have proper advice around pensions is really, really important. And thank you. And I see a lot of, of questions um, around how much money now do I need my pension? How do I maximize my pension? So if if we go now more into like really practical tips on, you know, I need the money. How do I get started today? Maybe Becky, I can ask with you and ask you, you know, how do we calculate how much money we, we need in, in retirement? And what are the different ways we can start planning? So do I need to do it myself? Uh, do I need to go through my, you know, workplace pension? Maybe I have an independent financial advisor and get to that number. I'm always quite wary of giving actual hard figures even though that's what everybody wants because they want <laughs> yes. that target pot because a lot changes so for instance at the moment I mentioned annuities earlier they're really generous rates right now so if you have a pot of a hundred thousand pounds after you've taken your tax-free income so it would have been 130 just over 130,000 after the tax-free lump sum has come off you've got a hundred thousand pounds left that can buy you about seven and a half thousand pounds a year of income at the moment because annuity rates are so high. But if you'd done that just a year ago or maybe a bit before the mini budget last year, that would have bought you probably more like three and a half, four thousand pounds a year. So you can see that that if I said, you know, aim for a pot size, size of 200,000, it'll give you 15,000 pounds of retirement income a year. And then when you actually retire, that is completely different you'd probably be a bit annoyed at me. So that's why um, it's, it's useful to have these sort of amounts in your head and what, what they will do for you now, but that may change in the future. The other option besides annuities is um, flexi access drawdown. Um, and that's when you have your defined contribution pot, which is what most workplace schemes um, offer now. Um, and you can access it and take income from it as and when you want. Now, when you do that, obviously that pot gets smaller but if it's still invested in the stock market it has a chance of growing by enough um, and you know over the very long term equity markets have kind of averaged around five percent a year so just to give you an idea might not be again when when you actually come to retirement um, 
but you can sort of work out then, okay, well, if I take this amount out, I can see that my pot's going to go back up by that much. So it's not eroding it by as much as I'm taking out because of investment growth. So that's another thing to bear in mind, like whether you, if you take an annuity, that whole pot, it loses the ability to generate investment growth because you've bought an annuity with it. If you leave it invested in the stock market, it can still grow over time if investment markets are growing at the time at that time. So that's just another variable, I suppose, when working out like how much exactly you need. At the moment, um, looking at those PLSA retirement living standards and the various amounts um, for basic, moderate and comfortable. Um, I mean, you know, this is like so incredibly generalised, but you'd be kind of looking at slightly less than 100,000, then around 250,000, then around 400,000 for a single person. Um, but again, it depends on how you take the money, whether it's an annuity or drawdown. So, but just to give you a rough idea. Um, and then, you know, then there'll be the state pension on top. So when you're thinking about how much to take out, if you want to retire before you get to state pension age, then you need to cover all of that from your private pension savings. But then you'd need to withdraw less once you're able to start taking your state pension. So um, that's something to bear in mind, too. You don't have to keep going with the same amount throughout the whole whole of your retirement necessarily. So I hope that helps a bit. I'm happy to cover any more of the questions on the specifics of investment. I saw there were a few on, you know, how to invest, which I'm happy to cover as well, if it's helpful. Yeah, please, let's do it now. And I think it's, it was great to have a, a benchmark. And again, this is so personalized. But for me personally, even using a simple calculator was really helpful and including or not the state pension and try to have an idea, you know, based on the, on like a lot of assumptions. Of course, if you work with a financial advisor, you'll have like a much better and precise idea of, of you know, where you get to with um, with your pension pot. But yeah, I'd love to, to, I mean, you know, investing is really at the core also of, you know, what, what we do on education, but in like maybe a few minutes, you know, maybe looking at your existing pension or setting up or setting up a pension, how, uh, how do you start and pick your investments? So if you've got um, a, a workplace pension available to you, um, then have a look at what what is actually available because it does vary. So there's the minimum auto-enrolment contribution, which is 8%, and um, 3% minimum comes from your employer with that, which is decent. So, I mean, you know, you definitely take advantage of that if you can, and you're opted into it anyway, um, so just, you know, stay in it. Um, but sometimes employers are even more generous and they would, you know, put in, um, they'll double match your contributions up to a certain maximum. So depending on the generosity of the scheme, you can end up with quite a lot going into your pension at a relatively low cost to you in terms of what you're giving up from your income now. Um, so do check out the terms and if you're able to increase your contributions up to the maximum and you get double matching in terms of your retirement outlook, it's an absolute no brainer. Um, then if you are self-employed or um, no longer working, but you have um, you know, some income, um, you can um, start a personal pension. Um, if you're not working, you can still put money in and benefit from tax relief. So you don't need to actually be earning um, to benefit. It's up to a maximum, though. So you'd put in 2,880 a year yourself, and that would be topped up to 3,600 if you're not earning. So that's just something to bear in mind. It's quite, quite good to know. Um, and with personal pensions, if there's no employer contributions going in because you're self-employed, you do still get tax relief. And that would be added at a basic rate um, if you're a basic rate taxpayer. Um, but if you're a higher rate taxpayer, you would need to claim the rest of it 
yourself through your self-assessment tax return. A surprising number of people forget to do that um, and uh, it, it's, it's, it can be quite a lot of money um, if you're a high rate taxpayer paying quite a lot into your pension. So just bear that in mind. Only the basic rate is claimed automatically for you in that instance. And you, uh, you talked, uh, Becky, about the, the state pension. And if we look today, the full new state pension uh, is about £200 um, a week. Uh, and you, in order to actually get this, this state pension, you will need, um, you know, to have national contribution for 35 years. And Emma, I wanted to come to you and, and ask you, what about women who will maybe have, you know, drops in employment? And I see actually a question of, you know, what happens if I haven't been working for, uh, for a long period of time? Um, you know, what can we do to sort of protect also the state pension? Because even if it's not a lot of money, we can still rely on it, hopefully. Sure. So the first thing to do is really go and check how many qualifying years you have already. And the younger you are, I will tell you, it's a little bit depressing when you do this. I remember the first time I checked, I had 10 years out of 35 and it was it was a bit of a, oh my goodness moment. Um, but you go on to, if you've got a government gateway account, um, if you've ever had to file a self-assessment, um, you go in through the government gateway and it will provide you with a statement of how many qualifying years you have. If you haven't got one, you can apply to get a government gateway account to check your report. Um, so that will tell you how many qualifying years you've got. It will also show you where your gaps are. And as Becky mentioned earlier, you can pay to fill gaps. Um, so it, on your statement, it will show you how much it would cost to make up that year to a full qualifying year um, and whether or not you can, because you can only go back a certain number of years to do that. Um, now, the other important thing on this is for women especially, well, it applies to both men and women, but women as the primary carers are the ones that tend to give up paid employment while they're looking after small children. Now, it's really important that you sign up for child benefit, because when you sign up for child benefit, you are registered as able to get what are called national insurance contributions. No, not contributions, credits. So when you pay through your through your PAYE or, um, or through your self-assessment, if you're self-employed, they are contributions, your national insurance contributions. You can also get credits if you are not working. And if you are signed up for child benefit, you will get credits until your youngest child is 12 years old. So if you have a significant period out of the workforce, it's really, really important that you do this. I didn't do this. I made the mistake and it they've actually changed the rules after all of our campaigning, which is great. But for a long time, um, I believed that I was going to be about £20,000 less, I can't think of the word, uh, less wealthy. You know, I was going to receive uh, £20,000 less in my state pension because I was missing five years of state pension credits. Now, that's not that's not the case now. Um, I'm going to be able to claim them back, as are other people that are in my, my situation. However, really, really important, when you get that form for child benefit, even if you are not eligible, and that's the key thing here, a lot of people will sign up for child benefit because they want the child benefit. However, once you reach a threshold, you're not eligible to receive it. It's important that you that you check in, that you that you apply for it, but you can just tick not to receive the child benefit to make sure that you are eligible for those national insurance credits. That's super helpful because I mean I also didn't know it a few years ago and I you know started um, you know registering and claiming my you know state pension forecast. We we'll, again we'll share some of the links from a uh, from the government uh, website uh, for you to uh, you know to to check your uh, to check your benefits. Um, Becky, I saw some questions about that, and that's something we, we discussed also before the session. But, you know, we talk about pension, um, 
in silo, but actually when we think about retirement, you know, are there also other ways uh, that we could st start planning or, you know, is it pension, pension? What about, you know, stocks and share ISAN and other uh, other financial products, even if I know you're a fan of, <laughs> of pensions? <laughs> so that's a tricky question. That Well, I mean, ISAs are a really useful part in the mix, um, to be honest, and that's because of tax and the different tax treatment between pensions and ISAs. So with a pension, you build it up free of tax. You get tax relief on your contributions which is fantastic and then investment growth on top and that helps it build over the many years that you're hopefully working for but then when you come to draw your pension the income that you take from it apart from that 25% tax free is taxable so whatever you get from the state pension is too so the state pension plus your private pension is very often it's going to take you over the personal income tax threshold which is £12,570 a year at the moment. So anything below that, you don't get income, you don't pay income tax on anything above it. You do, even when you're retired and old and grey. So that, you know, that withstanding, because of the tax relief on the way in, pensions are still very, very tax efficient. Um, however, with ISAs, you pay into an ISA after you've already paid income tax on the money that you've earned. You've earned it, it's gone into your pay packet, into your bank account into stocks and shares ISAs, already taxed, great. It's going to grow, hopefully, because you're investing it in a stocks and shares ISA. When you want to access that money, and by the way, with an ISA, it can be at any point. You don't have to wait till you're 55 or 57. Um, you can access it tomorrow if you want to. Um, you can therefore retire early if you've got money in an ISA. Um, and that money that you take out of an ISA is tax-free. So you've already paid tax on it, but when you take it out, it's tax-free. And because of the different tax treatment, if you are trying to, obviously, we all, you know, we all want our finances to be tax efficient in an ideal world, but having a combination of the two can help you manage your tax bills, um, particularly when you're in that life stage of maybe you're still working, but you're still able to take some money from your pension because you're over 55 um, and, you know, you've got some money in an ISA. You may be starting to think about um, gifting for inheritance purposes and yeah. therefore you'd be thinking about like how can I gift um, inheritance tax-free to my children who want a house deposit who want wedding money who want you know whatever it is so at that point having a few different pots to draw upon and um, to minimize your tax bill is quite handy so I would never rubbish an ISA even though I love pensions <laughs> um, and then of course we also have um, buy to let um, which has been very popular over recent decades in the UK as a way to provide income in retirement because people pay rent and that goes straight into your bank account. And if you don't have a mortgage on that buy-to-let property, um, you, I mean, you will pay tax on it, but you won't have um, a mortgage or interest rates to worry about. So th the thing with buy-to-let is it has the dynamics of how good it is in terms of an investment for retirement have changed dramatically over recent years. The tax treatment is less favourable now. If you're buying with a mortgage, obviously the mortgage interest rates have gone up. Um, and so uh, it, it's just a lot more complicated. So although that has been traditionally very popular and there'll be lots of people in the older generation who've done very well out of it, um, it it's I think kid gloves is quite sensible at the moment with buy to let. Can I, can I just jump in um, just to quickly mention the lifetime ISA? So um, with... A lifetime ISA for those youngsters in the audience today, the under 40s, um, it's a subset of the ISA, only, only available to people with, between the ages of 18 and 40. You have to be 
between those ages to set one up. But if you're, it's a kind of a strange product because you can also use it to buy a house. But if you're thinking about retirement, it's a nice way to save money in the same way that a pension keeps your money locked away for that future you. Uh, A lifetime ISA also does until you're 60. Um, So it's another option to think about. It has the the tax benefits that um, Becky's just talked about. It's in reverse to your pension. It's also available to you potentially six or seven years earlier than the state pension as well at the moment. Who knows what, what might change in terms of those goalposts. But it's definitely another one to think about. I'm very much of the opinion that this word diversify has to come into everything when we're talking about personal finance. And the more the more variety you can have in what you're invested in, the more options it gives you when you come to that point in time that right now we don't know what that point in time is. If you want to retire at 55, you need to have some ISAs. If you want it to be earlier than state pension age, you've got to have personal pensions and other options available. So the more of those we, we have, the better those options. Yeah, and I guess these options will also align with with different goals that you may have in life, depending on you know when you need the money, what you're gonna do with with this money, and and have different um, different different products. Um, Becky, maybe that's a question for for you. Um, what are the potential risks and and challenges that retirees may face, and how can we prepare for them? Because I f- I guess there's so much planning we can do. Um, so what what could happen? Um, it's probably a good idea to start with what happened recently in investment markets in 2022. Um, the stock market took a knock. Um, clearly, we had the mini Liz Truss's mini budget at the end of last year, which um, caused a number of different um, events um, in the gilt market, which then affected pension parts and um, performance. And that, I think, is um, one risk which... I mean, some people worry about maybe too much um, because they've, you know, they've still got a long time until they actually need that money. Um, if you're several years away from retirement, then it's if you're if the performance of your pension suffers, um, it doesn't necessarily matter yet because you aren't crystallizing any losses. You've still got years to hopefully enjoy investment growth going forward. Um, it, it is a risk. If you're about to draw um, your draw on your pension, and markets have taken a sudden tumble, and you're literally about to take that money out, and um, that did happen in 2022 um, to some people, lots of people actually chose to just delay taking their pension, and um, they worked for a couple more years, or they just didn't crystallise that loss at that time because they were hoping that markets would recover. And markets have, you know, they have improved um, so far in 2023 which is really good. But depending on the mix of investment that somebody would have had, it might not have been enough in all cases to bring it back to where it was before um, the kind of poorer performance of 2022. So I think investment loss at the point at which you're about to start drawing from your pension, particularly if you're planning on taking quite a lot out um, or buying an annuity with that um, pot, is is a risk. Um, But there are things that you can do to manage that, such as working for a bit longer, such as only taking out a small amount and leaving as much as possible invested so that it still has a chance to grow as markets recover. Um, and, you know, of course, it, if you feel like this is too much for you, then a financial advisor is a very good idea because there's an awful lot of moving parts when you think about how many pensions all of us have um, over the, you know, from over the years of work and different jobs and so on. The different investment mixes within each of those pensions 
sometimes the different ways those pensions are working because you might have a, a an old public sector pension which would be defined benefit in which case what's happening in investment markets doesn't make any difference at all to that pension and um, because it's funded through um government funding so it a lot depends on the type of pensions that you have and um, i think other risks would be taking too much too soon from a pension when you're first able to access it um it's actually not borne out as too much of a problem this because i think when pension freedoms first came in there was a lot of concern that you know it, it would go to people's heads and they'd well the, the the famous phrase is they'd go out and buy lamborghinis uh with their money well that hasn't happened if anything people exhibited an abundance of caution and instead of um taking money out they were so worried about touching that pot that they'd leave you know they leave it and they leave it and they take out tiny amounts and they live you know in penury because they just don't want to anything to happen to that money and so i mean obviously it's there for you to live on in retirement as well so there's a balance between that being cautious but also it's there for you um and with careful planning it can last your whole retirement so um there is also risk in being too cautious ironically um and I, I, there was a risk that people would keep too much of their money in savings and i think that is you know there's there's still a risk there even though interest rates have improved dramatically you know if you are putting some of your money in cash savings really that's a sort of short term place for money as a kind of holding spot if you like before you want to use it for something maybe for 3 to 5 years rates are better but they're not universally better so if you have money in cash savings and it's quite a lot of money make sure you're getting the best rate possible over the the most appropriate term for that money and um, because you could still end up in 0.1% accounts with high yeah. banks which is crazy if yeah. you think about it now the base rate's over 5% thank you so much becky emma we have a few more minutes i know there's a few outstanding questions What I suggest is we I'm going to write these questions and when we write up our summary for the event we're going to include uh, some answers around uh, I think consolidation um when you're you know an expat should you save into a pension I see some of these questions that we'll address afterwards uh I'd love both of you to give me like a final final tip something or main takeaway that you know people can start uh working on Emma if you if you want to start Oh, I'm really passionate about banging home this message that the earlier we if we start, the less we have to do. So if you are a parent, talk to your children about it. Let's start normalizing pension saving right from the get-go so that our next generation and the the people around us make it a normal practice that we choose to increase our pension, we choose to get more money in so that we don't have this ourselves in a position in later life where it becomes something that we have to be stressed about talk 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 it would have made such a big difference so yeah hopefully we can empower the next generation thanks thanks a lot uh becky um i think take stock of what you've already got um because there's you know i mean for myself uh you know my sins I'm not 100% exactly what's in my pension at the moment because uh, I haven't looked for a few months. Um so take you know you have to know what where you where your what your starting place is um and what your gap is and then you know you can work back from there um but I think it's it's just knowing where you are now which is a really really good first step and then if you need to increase your contributions then um and you and you can obviously um then just 
feel comforted that even a small amount monthly can make a really big difference ultimately. And if you have more than one pension, consolidating them into one place is a great way to be able to have that visibility as well. When you when you've got one pot, it's much easier to play around with calculators and to understand your fees and to see what actions you need to take to get to that final place as well. So consolidation probably would be my second if I'm allowed another one, Emily. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Emma and Becky, thank you. Um, so much, you know, knowledge and passion around this financial topic. So thank you for your enthusiasm and, you know, inspiring uh, tips today.